Okay, we've enjoyed having Pastor Hill come in Pastor John's absence to fill our pulpit, and he'll come now to give us what God has given on his mind. Well, the Lord gave me a safe trip over here today from Ishpeming. Uh, one of those rare days when you have the sun shining in the UP during this time of the year. There was only one drawback, and that is the sun rises in the east, and I was traveling to the east. <laughs> and so I had the sun in my eyes most of the way. But hey, I'm not complaining. It's good to see the sun. Reminds me of warmer days ahead. I was at Bible Baptist Church in Ishpeming for some 37 years. And uh, over that course of those years, I had many funerals. Now, a funeral can be a joy or a sorrow, depending upon that person's relationship with the Lord. Many were joyful. I knew the believer. And uh, it was a joy to be able to preach the good news that that believer is no longer in that casket that you see in front of you. It was, uh, that was just the shell, the, the tabernacle that they walked around with that we recognized, but they weren't there. They were gone to be with the Lord. It was harder sometimes when you were called to preach at a funeral where you'd sometimes didn't even know the person. Perhaps they knew, the family knew of someone in our church or somehow they were acquainted with me and they asked me to come in and preach a funeral. I would always present the gospel during those times because I don't know, but I could never honestly say that that person is in heaven. That's one of the things that you wish you could say, but you can't. You can't give a, a family false uh, assurance when there is no assurance. You know, funerals are simply a reminder of something that we're all going to go through, and that is death. Death is certain. Actually, that's the first point of my message this morning. Death is certain. Death is certain. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the writer says, It is appointed unto man once to die. There's only one occasion where perhaps we won't have to die, and that is if the Lord were to return for the rapture of the church and we go to be with him right then and there. I think the apostle Paul expected to be alive. I'll read that passage a little bit later on. Uh, we don't know when the rapture is going to take place. However, if you follow things going on in this world, you know it's not too far away. Uh, the Bible does say in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Men will be lovers of themselves and so forth. In the book of Romans, it talks about a nation or a people that have forgotten God. And one of the things that God sends upon a people like that is a reprobate mind. That is a mind that does not think clearly. Can you think of all the things that are think being thought clearly in our government these days? 
I don't think so. It is appointed unto man once to die. Someone has said that there's only two certain things in this world. You know what they are. Death and taxes. And that's probably a true statement. Death and taxes. Death is not a respecter of persons. Unfortunately, I've had funerals of a very young person. Actually, one was a stillborn baby uh, that I was privileged to speak at. I think I can say more positive things about a stillborn baby as to where they might be than uh, what I could about someone who I knew didn't know the Lord. But death is no respecter. Uh, it takes the young as well as the old. And you know, when I was young, death seemed so far away. But you know, the older I get in this life, that distance has shrunk. As I look at my life today, I may only have, oh, then I can't guess, but I would say, going by the average, I may only have five to 10 more years left in my life, unless the Lord is gracious and allow me to live a little longer. But the older you get, you start thinking about things like that more often. I don't know about you, but it certainly is in, in my case. You start thinking about things. By most people, death is feared. No one wants to die. We try everything we can to prolong our life. Many people are involved with eating healthy diets, health food, organic. Many people are taking vitamins. I have to admit that I'm one of those. <laughs> Take vitamins. Some people exercise. Got to keep that body in shape. Other people will go jogging. I have a daughter, my youngest daughter, Sarah by name. She's an avid jogger. I mean, she thinks nothing of jogging five to seven miles every single day. I have to admit, she's very disciplined. She'll get up at like 5, 5.30 in the morning and go jogging before she goes to work. Sometimes she says she does it for her health. But her last visit to the doctor <clears throat> said, you have old person's knees. <laughs> and your hips aren't a whole lot better. So uh, I'm not so sure how, maybe everything in moderation. <laughs> but uh, I think she goes way beyond moderation. Well, it's just something that she loves to do, and she does it for her health. You know, the believer need not fear death. We need not fear. I believe that God will give us dying grace. Right now, I want to live. I mean, that's the grace that God has given to me to want me to live another day. But you know, when my time comes, I believe the Lord will give me that grace too. That when I face death, we need not fear it. Uh, it, could, it could come at any time. I remember the preacher, probably not a true story, but a story nevertheless about a preacher who was preaching, probably in a fairly small church, maybe like this one. And uh, he was preaching about 
heaven and all the glories of heaven and how our desire ought to be to go to heaven. And he asked the congregation, how many of you would like to go to heaven? And he said, raise your hand. And everybody in the church except a small young lad sitting down front raised their hand. And he turned and looked at the boy and said, uh, son, don't you want to go to heaven someday? And the lad said, someday? Well, I thought you were getting ready to take a load up right now. <laughs> yeah, we all want to go to heaven someday, just not now. You know, if the Lord were returned, do you think you're going to be sorry about, oh, Lord, I got so many other things I want to do. You know, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think when the Lord comes for you, and if you know Christ as your Savior, you're going to be glad to be going up. Away from an earth that was very beautifully made, but scarred with sin, where sin affects everything and everyone on this earth, even Christians, that'll be great. Believers need to be ready, whether that is someday or now. It ought not to be feared for the Christian. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And then verse 57 of 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I think even last week I mentioned that probably one of the last letters that the Apostle Paul wrote was his letter to the second, what we call 2 Timothy where he said, uh, this is what he said. He said, I have fought a good fight. And living the Christian life is oftentimes a fight. I have finished my course, he says. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them who love his appearance. The believer is looking for not the undertaker, but the upper taker. The believer is looking for the upper taker. Death is certain, and therefore it is imperative that we be ready for it. We be ready for it. I can venture that if you were to take, a, in the summertime, take a stroll around the streets of Newberry here, uh, and ask people, how does one get ready to go to heaven? I'm positive you would have a variety of answers. One of the answers most common with many people, even church-going people, is, well, just keep the commandments. If you keep the commandments, I'm glad I'm seeing some heads going, no. <laughs> is it wrong to keep the commandments? No, of course not. They're good. But the commandments were never designed as a means by which we go to heaven. The Ten Commandments were designed to show us our failures. That we can't keep them. Even as the 
the, the apostles said in, in the book of Romans that the Ten Commandments, the law was our teacher to bring us to Christ. That's the whole purpose of the Ten Commandments. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul said that by the deeds of the law, keeping the law, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, and all the other things associated with it, the 600 and how many, 600, well, there was a lot of them anyway, <laughs> of the different laws that the, the Jewish people were supposed to keep. He says uh, that by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. If it wasn't for the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't know what sin is. Other people say, well, if you just be good, just be a good person. You know, God is up there with a scale up in heaven. Bad works, good works, and whichever one wins out in the end, that's the means by which you get to heaven. Try that in the court of law someday. If you get pulled over for speeding and are, have come before the judge and the judge asks you, were you speeding? You say, yes, judge, but, but, all the other, look at all the other times I wasn't speeding. All the good, I stopped at every single stoplight. I stopped at every red light. I stopped at every, no, I didn't stop at every caution, but that's okay. Uh, is the judge going to sit up there and wait? Well, you, you did a lot of good things, and you know I'll just let this one bad thing slide. Do you think he's going to do that? No. He says, you're not here for all the things you kept. You're here because of the one thing you didn't do right. Are you guilty or innocent? Did you speed on that day? Well, well, yes, I did. $200 fine. You're guilty. I don't know what the fine is these days. <laughs> you see, it's not by being good. It's not by keeping the Ten Commandments. Because our innocence is not determined by the number of laws we kept versus the number of laws we broke. So how does one get ready to go to heaven? It's not by keeping the commandments. It's by knowing that you haven't kept the commandments perfectly. Realizing that you are a sinner. And in the eyes of God, you deserve death. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But it's also by realizing that Christ died for your sins. He took your penalty upon himself when he was there on the cross. <clears throat> and that's why he shouted from the cross, <clears throat> excuse me, it is finished. It is finished. And in faith you call upon him to save you. Because you know he is gracious and has said he will save you. That if you in faith acknowledge your sin. And come to him. In humility. Realizing that you can't save yourself. 
You know what he does? I one time had a sermon on all the different things that happen in your life when you trust Christ as your Savior. You're justified. You're, oh, I should have that with me now. (laughs) You're justified, just as if you had never sinned. You are forgiven. You have the Holy Spirit who comes and takes up residence within you. You are said to be in Christ now. Many different things. You are justified. You're glor- well, you will be glorified. Uh, and all those other different things that take place the moment you trust Christ as your Savior. And I believe it is a punctiliar moment. It has to be at a certain point in time. <clears throat> Again, I was listening to another radio. I'm positive it was from a Lutheran church on the way coming over here today. I ran out of WHWL. So <laughs> and he was... He was talking about how, well, I'd like to ask him a question. Can you know that you're saved? And I'm sure he would have come back, uh, well, I hope so or I think so. But um, he was of the opinion that you are born when you are baptized as a baby in the church and you continually grow as time goes on and you become more solid in your faith in Christ. Well, my understanding of the scripture is that you are saved first and baptism follows salvation. It doesn't come before. A preacher that meant a lot to me when I was working at uh, Dow Chemical down in Lower Michigan years and years ago. He was at a small Baptist church. And at that time, I was a Lutheran. And uh, one time he asked me, he says, Jim, if you can show me just one place in the Bible where a baby was ever baptized, he says, I'll become a Lutheran like you. You know, I thought that would be an easy task. But, you know, I couldn't find one single place that showed where a baby was baptized. Every place I looked, it was people who came to trust in the Lord and then they were baptized. Baptism follows salvation, it doesn't precede it. So, when we become a Christian, God changes you. gives you, he makes you a new creation in Christ. A new creation. I love that. So, death is certain. Every one of us are going to face death. Death is not only a, a certainty, but point number two, death is a Departure, departure. What do I mean by that? That means that when you depart, that when you die, your soul and spirit immediately go to be in the presence of the Lord. You depart this body. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 23, Paul says that he was, he, he was in a quandary. He had two things he wanted to do. 
but he couldn't do them both. Verse 23 says that he was in a strait, for I am in a strait between two. You all know what a strait is, don't you? Strait of Gibraltar, other straits. <laughs> uh, it's a narrow body of water between two large bodies of water. It's where you are confined to a fairly narrow passageway through two, what did I say, bodies of water? Through two land masses. Yes, through two land masses. And Paul was in not a physical strait, but he was in a mental strait. He said, I'm a strait between two. What was his first desire? A desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You see, the apostle Paul knew that when he died, he was going to depart this body. He was going to be in the presence of the Lord. And he says, for him, that would be a great thing. He'd love to do that. But then he had a second desire. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, then he gives nevertheless. In other words, but. <laughs> to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul also had a desire to remain behind, to, to be able to teach and to train Christians in the way that they should go. And he just, he wanted to do that as well too. So what, what does he do? Does he remain behind? Does he go to be with Christ? Well, Paul was smart enough to know that, that when Christ wants him, he's going he's gonna to go. But notice, at his death, he knew it was going to be a departure. And this took place approximately seven years later when he actually was killed. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, as I mentioned before, I believe it was Paul's last letter written to Timothy. He said, for I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my, notice what he calls it, departure, departure, is at hand. Paul expected to be with the Lord very sh shortly. To Paul, that would have been a very glorious thing. He was looking forward to it. But to those left behind, for example, Timothy there might have been some sadness there. Have you ever gone to a funeral of someone you know who was a Christian, but at this funeral there was still sadness there? Why is there sadness? Well, we know where they are, but there's sadness because we're going to miss them. We know that one day we're going to see them again, but in the meantime, we're going to miss them. And we know that if they had younger people in the family, they're going to miss their mom or their dad who has passed on too. It's going to be a sorrowful time. I remember when my brother-in-law passed away, he was married to my eldest sister, Marlene. Uh, he was pastoring some churches out in the Eng England, New England area. Uh, he was pastoring at a place called Colchester, Connecticut, not too far away from Hartford. And uh, 
he fell off a, they were, they were painting in their gymnasium that they had and he was up on a high ladder and the ladder slid and he fell and landed on his back actually. So much so that when he was in the hospital he had two rods put in his back but he also really hit his head very hard against the floor. It wasn't immediate but within a year of that time he began to lose his memory lose uh, knowing who people were, people who he knew in the church, but he couldn't come up with their names. And sometimes thinking that certain people were, were still alive when they had passed away several years ago. And his thinking got more and more muddled. And the doctor told my sister that she has seen this happen before, that a certain part of the brain was damaged in that fall, and it was gradually deteriorating so that eventually he would lose all memory. And not only did he do that, but he also began to lose bodily functions and so forth. And probably within two years of that accident, he was with the Lord. And I remember attending his funeral. I mean, this was a guy who, their family used to come up to the UP because my sister grew up in the UP. And they would come up and we would have such wonderful times together. They would rent a, well, some people would call it a cabin, but it was basically a shack <laughs> on the Dead River and cousins. And I mean, there are probably like 25 people out there sleeping on the floor and wherever. And it was a wonderful time that we used to enjoy together. <clears throat> After he passed away, that no longer took place anymore. But I remember when I was attending his funeral, they asked me to say a few words. And to be perfectly honest, uh, he, I loved him. I knew where he was. But uh, I shed some tears at that time because I knew I was going to miss him. We had a very, like Jonathan and David, had a soul relationship. I know for my brother-in-law, his departure was actually a glorious time. But for those who were left behind, yes, it was a sorrowful time. But I know that a glorious time for, for us is in the future when one day there's going to be a reunion there. Even as David said of his son, remember his son by Bathsheba? After he was born, within a few days he died. And David said, he shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. I believe David knew that when his son died, there was a departure that took place. And one day David was going to be, see his son again. So death, it's a delightful time actually for the believer but sometimes it can be a sorrowful time for those who are left behind. I sometimes think of the song, I don't know if you know it or not. Uh, it's a song, come to the Savior, make no delay. Here in our word, he shows us the way. Here in our midst, he tenderly says. Uh, I forget the rest part. <laughs> 
will you my children come, something like that. The, the chorus goes, joyful, joyful, will the meeting be when from sin our hearts are pure and free and we shall gather Savior with thee in our eternal home. Death is a departure, not something to be feared, but if we know the Lord, it can be a joyful time for us knowing that, yeah, it could be sad for those who are left behind, but it's also an anticipation of a reunion again one day with those who've gone on before us. So death is a departure. Finally, death is, a, is like a sleep, like a sleep. You ever been to a funeral and the casket is up there in front of the church or the funeral home and you look at the person, what does it look like they're doing? Sleeping, sleeping. Is that really them who are sleeping? No. There is a particular church, I would probably classify it as a cult who believe that once you die, you're placed in the ground and you don't know anything from that point on until uh, the resurrection. But I believe that uh, when we depart our body, our body looks like it's sleeping. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, according to 2 Corinthians 5.8. So what is sleeping then? It's, it's amazing that when you look at that word sleep in relationship to Christians, many times it talks about the Christian who has died as sleeping, as sleeping. I think that's a wonderful term to use uh, in reference to the body. And I believe what is sleeping is our body placed in the ground. <clears throat> we see that uh, in the New Testament when Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, brother of Mary and Martha, who died. Jesus could have been there to prevent him from death, but when Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was another two days longer. Jesus, weren't you concerned? Well, Jesus knew all along what he was going to be doing. In John chapter 11, verse 11, I mentioned that Jesus had heard that his friend Lazarus was sick and he stayed there another two days. And when the disciples asked him about it, Jesus just simply said, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Our friend Lazarus is sleeps. But I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Well, you remember what the disciples did? They said, well, if he's sleeping, he's probably on the mend. He's going to get better. But in verse 13 of John 11, Jesus spoke of his death. That Lazarus was actually dead. Jesus spoke of sleep as a restful word for death. It's rather interesting, Stephen, the first martyr, in Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60, it says, And they stoned Stephen, who was calling upon God and saying, Lord, receive my spirit. You see, 
Stephen expected the Lord to, to receive his spirit, even though his body was probably going to die. Receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, rather interesting, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. In other words, he died. But he was with the Lord. Thirteen times the word sleep is used of the death of the body. And it's always in relationship to a believer. Always in relationship to a believer. So whether it's by natural death, such as Lazarus, or violent death, such as Stephen, death is a not only a departure, but it's like a sleep. I'd like to read a few verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I sometimes wonder if that comma could be, 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 be removed. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. <laughs> Concerning those who have, and notice, fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For... If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, notice this next expression, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. In other words, when Christ returns, he's bringing with him those who have died. Their bodies are in the ground. They are coming back with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The, I believe the Apostle Paul expected to be alive during that time. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You mean those bodies that have been placed in the ground that have all rotted and decayed? They're going to be raised from the ground? Yeah, they will be. Even though there may not be much left of them. It's rather interesting in the book of Revelation when it talks about the sea giving up their dead. Just think of all those who died in, in the sea. What happened to them? Eaten by fishes? Is there anything left? Well, the Lord knows. He can do it. I may not be able to do it, but he can do it. <clears throat> For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Wherefore, Comfort one another with these words. So you see, the death of a Christian can be a comforting thought. A comforting thought. One last passage. 
1 Corinthians 15. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to skip around a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 35. <clears throat> Paul speaking somewhat again about what happens to the believer. But some will say, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Oh, foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And he brings in a, a gardening or a farming situation. You know, you have seeds that you put in the ground. And when it germinates, does it come up as a big seed? It comes up with a totally different body than what was placed in the ground. And what you sow, you do not sow the body that shall be. In other words, the body that's placed in the ground, that's not what comes up. But a mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as, it, as he pleases. And to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Those of you who hunt, do know that a cow does not taste like a partridge, and that doesn't taste like a lake trout. Their texture is totally different, one from another. And he says that human texture is different too. I've never eaten a human, don't plan on eating humans, but... <laughs> I imagine that their texture would be different as well, too. Even if you were blindfolded, you could tell if a fish or a piece of beef or a bird was placed in your mouth. You could tell what it was. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. Look at the heavens. But the glory of the celestial is one. The glory of the terrestrial, that is of earth, is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, they shine differently. And another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. What does it mean, corruption? In other words, capable of rotting and decaying and going bad. But it's raised in incorruption. In other words, a body that will never rot or decay again. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Our new bodies will be a glorious body. It is sown in weakness. These bodies are weak. It is raised in power. I sometimes wonder what kind of a body that is. When the Bible says that one day we will see him for we shall be like him. And did you ever think about what Jesus did in his body after he was raised from the grave he could rise he could levitate he could go through locked doors but he still ate which is a good thing as far as I'm concerned all the things that he could do with that body will we be able to do all those things I don't know we'll wait till we get there won't we <laughs> We'll wait till we get there. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. 
verse 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Obviously taken out of context when it's placed on the nursery door of your uh, nursery room. We shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed. <laughs> but this is a literal event that will take place. We're going to be changed. When the Lord comes to receive us, we will be granted new glorified bodies. How fast is that going to take place? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, incapable of rotting or decaying. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal, that which dies, must put on immortality, that which doesn't die. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. That's the penalty for sin, death. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everything that we do for Christ, there are rewards that we will receive. And living for Christ is not something that we're going to be sorry about. It is a joyful thing, even though in this life we may face a lot of sorrow. I think my wife and I usually follow such things as the voice of the martyrs and things like that, where if you look what's going on in many of the Islamic countries and China and North Korea, almost all of Northern Africa continually spreading, spreading south, Christians are dying, churches are being burned. I sometimes wonder if, if those believers are standing fast and firm and they're dying as a result. I sometimes wonder if their glory will be greater than my glory because of what they stood for. And you know, as time goes on in this country, we may be called upon to suffer more than what we have for the cause of Christ. But the end result is with the Lord, with the Lord. And I'm so thankful I know where I'm going. And I trust you do too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who, after sin entered the world, you said there is death by sin. And death passes upon all people, for all have sinned. The only thing that will prevent that will be the rapture of the church when you catch us away. But Lord, help us to realize that life on this earth is not our goal. Our goal is to be used of you in helping to see others come to know the Savior that we know. Even though that may cause us pain, sorrow, even death. Knowing that to be present with the Lord 
is a great thing. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help each of us to be used of you until you call us home, we ask in Jesus' name. Stand and be dismissed and